Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name is Mark Winteringham and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Testers Island Discs. For this episode, I'm joined by Christian Cram, who, based off his bio, has had quite a varied background. He's been an industrial anthropologist, a requirements engineer, and a product owner. He gave an excellent talk at Testbash Germany 2017, drawing from his experiences as an industrial anthropologist and how it influences testing. And I'm sure we'll be talking about quite a lot of that in the, uh, in the next half hour. So welcome, Christian. Hi, Mark. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Um, to be honest, um, I'd almost forgotten about uh, writing to Neil back in the day that I would be like on here. But um, yeah, glad that you invited me. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think quite a few people are going to get surprise emails in their inboxes over the next couple of months of like, oh, uh, did I did I submit to that? I've had a few people who've asked me like, um, why haven't you asked me on yet? And I've told them it's because you haven't submitted. So you've got people doing the other thing where they, they, they're sure that they have, but they haven't. <laughs> so um, I think we're probably going to talk about this um, later on in the podcast. But uh, for the uninitiated, what is an industrial anthropologist? Except from being hard to pronounce, um, yes. it's uh, anthropology is about science about humans, and industrial anthropology is the part of that science that deals with the usability of industrially pro uh, produced goods by humans. So whatever comes out of a factory um, is looked at and uh, guarded in terms of usability. So that's basically what industrial anthropology is about. And in my case, that were uh, mattresses and um, seats and stuff like that. Yes, so I think I'm going to have to ask you some questions about the mattress thing um, a little bit later. Absolutely, definitely interested in that. Um, so, is there? Would you say there's some parallels between sort of user experience and customer experience and um, industrial anthropology? Absolutely, there are quite a few parallels. Just that the um, object that is looked at is a little bit different. Uh, with software, it's it's hard to touch it and and to um, squeeze your fingers into it or something like that. Um, while you can do that with um, all the things that come out of factory. So yeah, but the ways um, you approach those are the same to me. Yeah, and I think we'll probably, like I say, I definitely want to ask you uh, some of the stuff about the mattresses, um, which you obviously gave a talk on, um, and that'll probably get, that'll hopefully give our listeners a bit more of an idea of um, what industrial anthropology is. Um, but before we sort of get into the testing stuff, I was, uh, was very interested in some of your sort of side projects that you're working on. I say side projects, it might be testing is your side project, I don't know. Uh, but um, you said uh, you're a basketball coach, uh, who do you coach? Um, I used to be. I'm not anymore. Um, I've done it for more than 20 years, and I coach like from um, 10 years old to 50 years old, from absolute beginners to um, semi-professionals. Uh, it's a lot of fun. That's it's um, where I learned a lot about teams and how they work together. Um, but it's just so time-consuming that I, I can't do it uh, next to my job anymore. So um, yeah. I'm just a fan nowadays, not a coach anymore. Oh, oh. That's, a sh that's a shame. Yeah. Do you, do you hope to get back into it in the future? Um, well, yeah, sometime maybe, um, but it would be very, very time consuming. I, I have to sell it to my wife, so I, I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Um, why don't we kick off and you tell us a bit about your first song pick? 
my first song, which is probably the most embarrassing song ever to be on the show, uh, would be David Hasselhoff's Looking for Freedom. Um, I was really thinking about kicking it out again. Um, but then again, that was my first record that I ever bought. So um, it has a very special place in that um, case for me. And there's a nice story to it. Um, I bought it as a 12-inch um, single. And I was told that um, those 12-inch records would have to be played at uh, 33 RPM. Um, I didn't know that singles had to be played at 45 RPM. So um, I thought for several weeks that the record was broken <laughs> because it was just too damn slow. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a story to the record. And no, I don't think he's responsible for the fall of the wall or anything else. But it was my first record. Now you know it. That was Looking for Freedom by David Hasselhoff. Uh, so, Christian, um, you come from a linguistics background, and um, through my own travels, I've met a lot of testers that also have uh, linguistics backgrounds. Why do you think so many testers have come out of that area of study? Well, the main reason would be that there are hardly any jobs as a linguist. No, um, <laughs> jokes aside, um, at least my university training was to, to go into the jungle and write dictionaries and grammars uh, for languages that have not been described before. So it was about getting the tools to, to act in the unknown and spot patterns, look for similarities and all those kinds of things. And um, I think that these... Um, Traits are um, pretty helpful as a tester as well. It's about thinking critically about things like it looks the same. Is it really the same? For example, my name Kram, which means stuff in German, but it also means um, to hug in in Swedish. Um, well, it doesn't make me a stuff hugger or anything. So it, it looks the same, but it's really different. And I think that's something that translates very well into testing as well. So yeah, so. The, uh, like the, the way that you've sort of just discussed that the difference of your surname in different languages. And I am now going to apologize for the rest of the, the podcast for basically saying your name, mispronouncing it incorrectly. Everyone does that with my, my, my surname as well. So <laughs> I know how annoying that can be. Um, but I, I, it's interesting um, how you were talking about that and how you're actually using sort of an oracle there of comparing different languages and seeing the differences. And that feels like a, a strong testing skill and technique that we have. Um, do you think there are other things in terms of your studying of linguistics and, and the skills that you've gained from that that map to testing? Um, interestingly enough, um, Alex Schladerbeck, who's also a linguist and who I uh, met at a party yesterday, um, was asked the same question on another podcast. And um, she answered that linguists are good at dissecting things. And I think that's true. To, to really dig into it, to, um, to see what's really at the bottom and not just um, stay at the surface. So I think that, that is something that is also very, very helpful. And um, linguistics, well, it's pretty close to communication, and um, communication is one of the main topics in, in software development, so I guess there's a natural fit at that uh, point. 
so do you find that like those skills make you a better communicator or do you think that um like your communication skills and what you've learned in terms of working with teams do you think that's sort of organically grown as you've worked with them I think it's organically grown. And um, to be honest, what, what helps me even more in communication is my, my basketball, my, my team background, you know, with people in different roles um, still having the same um, goals. I think that, that helps a lot. Um, the linguistic perspective to it that helps me is to to really see what's going on and how far there are different um, channels to communicate Um in my studies, there have been quite a few communication models, and um, those are still helpful today. Yeah, I think so. So you mentioned um, some examples there um, of communication models. Um, could you share any for our listeners? Well, the basic communication model that is almost everywhere referenced in linguistics is by Rowan Jacobson. It boils down to that there's not just a message that there is a context of a message as well, and that um, you have a certain code, and um, all these things um, are different uh, between different people. So um, that's a very popular model. Another one that I um, like a lot is the um, gatekeeper model by a guy called um, Levin. And um, that one proposes um, if you send information from person one to person two to person three. Um, person two is a gatekeeper, and um, a lot of that information from person one is lost at that moment. So um, that's pretty much what you have when you have, um, when you're communicating just with documents and just pass on the document, the real information um, gets lost. So um, that's just a model I, I think is really, really helpful um, when talking about communication in software development. So they sound like uh, useful models um, for teams and for testers as well. Um, what I'll do is I'll put uh, links in the references uh, for everyone to uh, check those models out. So uh, let's move on to your second song, which is uh, quite a departure from the first one, if I'm right. Yeah, and it's Am I Evil by Metallica. I know it's a cover song from some other band, but um, the first time I heard it, it was the Metallica version. And um, I usually like songs with a good intro, and the intro to this one is, is one of the best, I think. Um, this really absolutely epic uh, drum part in the beginning. Am I Evil by Metallica. So Christian, um, you've recently changed jobs to a place called Ooze. Am I, am I saying that right? No, not really. <laughs> no, I didn't think so. No, it's it's, it's Orza. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a great company. Um, just oh, It's uh, totally about self-organization. It's a registered cooperative, so um, we don't have no bosses. 
and um, so we decide everything by ourselves. So that's that's uh, really a difference from the companies I've been working for in the past. And um, we're totally into teaching and coaching. And yeah, that's that's really the fun part. So how does like a like how do you organize yourselves if 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 you're all sort of on the same level or, or completely self-organized? How do you how do you go about doing that? Well, we have still in some parts from holacracy, um, we have so-called circles um, that um, are themed around a certain topic. So there's one for, there's going to be one for testing, there's one for project management, there's one for soft skills, and there's one for leadership tasks. Just because we don't have any bosses doesn't mean that the um, the tasks they're doing um, are gone as well. Um, it's just that we have to do them now. And that's why um, we have those circles and you can join them and you're supposed to join them and um, to work for the good of the company. For example, in the first week I was there, um, we're talking about um, how how we want to raise our salaries. And that was really uh, mind-blowing because I've never seen people talking about raising their own own salaries. So so you're all millionaires now with uh, giant homes. (laughs) No, but we are happy. (laughs) Excellent. That's good. Um, so you mentioned um, about sort of doing testing training there, um, and 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 sort of that that whole idea that you you have leadership, um, but you don't necessarily have managers dictating what to do. I always find that there's a sort of subtle balance between uh, giving, like teaching something that someone wants to learn, but also teaching them things you feel that they should learn. Um, do, have you come across that sort of uh, that challenge and? Um. Not to a great extent, to be honest. Um, I'm just there for a few weeks, so I haven't been into too many testing there. But of course, you want them to learn things that you feel they they don't know yet about at all, but that might be useful. So that's something that I'm trying to, to slip in whenever possible. Um, I'm in a situation now where we are um, teaching courses that are accredited um for so we're not totally free to to tell whatever um we want but um as always there, there's place to to slip it in and to talk about it and to let people know that there is something next to the syllabus that might be useful for them and um as always uh, i think there's the breaks in between that's where you can really really uh, work your magic and tell people about um what else there might be Absolutely, you can use it as a vehicle to to um, get to where you think they they should be. Actually, um, what I've recently learned about, and which I'm trying to incorporate now, are um, types of learners, um, and that there there was there was someone coming around telling us about um, types of learners, and there were three categories: auditive, visual, and kinesthetic learners, and it's sometimes hard to get the same information out of the same trainings. For example, um, if you're standing in front, ex cathedra, and, and talking all the time, that might be great for auditive guys. But if you're a kinesthetic guy who needs to move and, and touch things, um, it will be hard for you to learn. And that's something that I'm um, really trying to incorporate into my trainings now. So. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've come across uh, those principles myself as well. And um, I think I'll try and find something in, um, that kind of, 
shares that uh, in a, in a, as a sort of model or summary and uh, put that in the references link. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important for not just um, someone who's teaching to understand the differences, but um, like for myself, I really identify with the, the, the kinesthetic learning style in terms of sort of playing with things and sort of having some sort of tactile interaction with it, um, which has kind of informed my own workshops and training. But it's also good because it can help me identify what sort of styles of learning I want. So I know that I'm not fantastic at learning when it comes to reading material. I'd rather just play with it. So um, knowing your own learning style kind of dictates uh, sort of which way you can gravitate. Absolutely. For example, I'm a very auditive guy. I, I need to hear things and um, I can sit si um, silent for hours and just hear stuff. And, and um, that's my kind of learning. And it's very different from, from yours, I guess. So um, and now we need to have a training that uh, accommodates both of us. So that's, that's a really a challenge, I think. So you said you do some uh, accredited training. How do, how, do you, how do you try and appeal to the, the different learning styles? That's actually the hard part because the um, accredited learnings are mostly for the auditive and visual style. So it's a lot of slides, a lot of showing material. But uh, what I try to sneak in from time to time are um, any exercises like, for example, um, do you know about liberating structures? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I've come across liberating structures. I actually recently installed the app that you can get on your phone for it. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, I have that as well. And um, I've been I've really growing fond of liberating structures in the past two years and using it a lot um, for getting people involved and to get away from, from uh, classic meeting structures. And um, most of the times people really um, like those. So that's something I'm trying to, to get incorporated into traditional um, courses as well, wherever possible, of course. Are there any sort of specific structures that you like to use like or do you have like, any favorites what i really like is um, trica consulting which is about two people giving help to another one about a certain problem um, and another one that i recommend or that i do a lot of times is 15 um, percent solutions which is uh, simply answering the question um, how what could you do yourself with 15 percent of your time um, to to work on a problem or to get things done in a way instead of just um, talking about it and feeling sorry about it what could you do with the time to um, change things yeah I, I really like the 15 percent solutions one that's that's my favorite as well I, I always like to use sort of like the analogy of uh, you know you you have some level of influence yeah it might be very yeah. small but you still have some uh, sphere of influence in which you can do stuff in um, you know you're not you're not tied to your chair and you're not um, you know, you're not, you don't have someone forcing your arm to do specific testing. Of course, that there's degrees that might bring you closer to that or further away from it. Um, but just appreciating that to begin with, and then starting to reflect on that, I think is yeah, it's a very powerful tool for starting conversations. Uh, one that comes to mind now that is useful for testers well might be Tris, which is like um, make a list with all things that, that might possibly possibly go wrong ever. Um, or what could you do to simply wreck a project? And um, the second part is what part of those um, are you already doing? And then go from there and see, okay, that might be something we uh, need to look at from, from a tester's perspective. Oh, so it's kind of a little similar to the headline game that you do to identify risks. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, yeah, fascinating stuff. Um, we should probably move on to your third song, though. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? That's Queen, The Invisible Man. Uh, Queen is probably one, if not the most favorite 
fans of mine. And um, it's actually one of the few bands I would like to uh, go and see live, which is unfortunately not possible anymore. Uh, anyway, um, it was actually the video and the sound effect <laughs> that used to um, make me like that song. And I still do it. Um, if you look at the video, it's a bit on the nerdy side. Um, but if you grew up in the 80s and, and watch it now, you will probably uh, see a lot of that. Yeah, I had those two uh, moments. So... Um, I really like that. And being an invisible observer can be a trait in testing sometimes as well, I think. So that was The Invisible Man by Queen. Um, so continuing the sort of conversation about training, uh, so you say you do quite uh, a bit of accredited training. Do you do other other training that has less structure to it? Um, not yet, but we're in the f- um, phase of designing those. Um, we're not doing those yet, but um, we're planning on, to, on doing so because, um, as we already mentioned, there is a lot of information, there are a lot of things besides those accredited um, syllabi um, that, that are totally interesting and totally useful for people. So we're trying to design some trainings um, that are more yeah, more freewheeling in that sense. So um, not yet, but soon. Uh, can you share any of the sort of topics that you're looking at? Um, yeah, I can. Some things we are um, planning for the future are um, on the one end to go more into uh, BDD, behavior-driven development. Um, another thing that we are going to look at is how to test microservices um, because it's a little bit different from um, what you usually do about testing, um, taking into consideration consumer contracts and, and things like that. So um, that's something um, we have on our minds right now. Yeah, I think the microservices stuff... Um has really boomed in the last uh, few years and there's so there's a lot of demand from testers to learn about microservices and how to test them um and also uh, yeah uh, bdd which is uh, for those who know me is a is, is a trigger word <laughs> um but uh, yeah i think it's important to, to talk about bdd I, no, i'm not going to get into that i'm not going to get into that because we'll be here for hours and I will waffle for ages. Um, let's just say uh, Germany is a bit late to the bandwagon in that uh, topic. So um, it's something we, we think that um, we should have a look at. Well, that, that, I mean, that's a, that's actually a benefit because I think uh, BDD has actually matured a lot since its sort of initial formings. And I think True. early adopters... Um, or like when it first sort of came about, it did feel very dominant that it was about the tools. But I think the the BDD community and um, team development teams as well are appreciating more that it's not necessarily about the tools. It's more about the conversations, uh, the shared understanding, and the collaboration. And then that the tools are sort of an incidental bit at uh, at the end. Absolutely, the tools are just the means, not not the main thing about it. 
So, um, like, where are you with 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 sort of designing this sort of stuff? Do you have any challenges to face in terms of uh, putting putting the workshop together or putting the training together? <laughs> um, we're at the very beginning still, um, just generating a, an outline, um, thinking what direction we're going to do, and how far um, we are leaving tools outside, which we're going to do in the BDD part. Um, and just think about um, the mindset, about the ideas, um, why you're doing it. So it's it's still the very early beginning, so um, not too not too lined out at the moment. But I think that's one of the challenging, like most challenging points, is that 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 initial forming of what is it that you want uh, the people who are engaging with your material, what do you want them to be able to achieve at the end? Um, and, and sometimes that can be vital. If you don't get that right the first time, then everything is sort of built on shaky foundations. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. But on the other hand, um, I see people who um, want to make it perfect in their first um, try, which I don't think it's possible. So it's it's um, to me, it's getting to a level that is it's a good one and um, still improve from there on. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, iteration is key. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, m- myself and and uh, boss boss Richard Bradshaw, we run our own training courses. I've sort of mentioned on this podcast before, but um, we yeah we treat everyone as an iteration. We know that it's it's never going to be perfect because the context is always going to change, uh, the people are going to change, um, the topic itself will change. But yeah, iterating each time, reflecting on yourself. Do you, do you uh, do you train by yourself or do you train with like do you, do you have a partner when you train? Um, in our testing circle, we're um, two people, and um, we're going to do those together in the beginning. But later on, we're going to do um, them alone. Because that, that that's one thing I'm immensely grateful for is is actually having a training partner next to me because you have someone who can take that step back and observe what's going on in the room whilst the other person is focusing on the delivery of the material yeah and i think it's also great in the um development um part because uh, you always have a sparing partner and someone to discuss ideas um to, to to get another opinion because sometimes you're running a certain direction that might not be the right one so it's great to have early feedback and if you have someone around who knows a lot about that topic as well um it's just great to to talk about it and and just to get ideas yeah I, I like that idea of sparring partner. You know, it's it's not it's not full on. You know, you're not attacking each other, but yeah. you know, you have to give each other criticisms and you have to accept those criticisms. Absolutely, because you know you know that they're going to be valuable. It's just the same as in basketball. Um, before you go out on the court, you do have scrimmages where you try things out. Um, we do it at a slower pace and get those feedback and improve on it before you really get go on the court and play for the first time. Right, well, um, let's uh, move on to your fourth song and uh, tell us a little bit about that. That's Adel Tawil with Lieder, uh, which means songs. And um, usually I'm, I'm not the one to look too much into lyrics, um, but this one is, is an exception to that because every line of this song um, is either a reference or a translation of another song, which I think is a great idea. So it starts out uh, being an Egyptian, goes on with Come As You Are by Nirvana, and there's so many references in that song, and um, I just love the idea. <laughs> Ich frage mich, wann werd ich, werd ich berühmt sein? So wie Rio, mein König für die Ewigkeit. 
Ich soll kommen, wie ich bin Und ich singe diese Lieder Tanz mit Tränen in den Augen Boeva für den Tag, mein Held Und EMF kann es nicht glauben Und ich stehe im lila Regen Ich will ein That was Adele Taville with Leader. Um, so I mentioned at the start of the podcast um, around testing mattresses. Um, I recently rewatched your Test Bash Germany 2017 talk where you sort of referenced testing mattresses. Um, how do you test mattresses exactly? You sleep on them. <sighs> um, that's really one, one part of it. Um, you have people come around and not really sleep on them but um lie on them and see um how the mattress um is deformed if that still supports your back I think like i could say you have people come in um and see how the mattress behaves and um yeah measure a lot of things and um what we're also doing is like measure people and see um how tall they are um how heavy they are and um, see um, how that might relate to uh, the mattresses. And we would also do some kind of performance test, which would be like, um, what does a mattress look like if you sleep on it for uh, 10 years? So we had a machine that uh, would simulate that. I don't know if you've been to IKEA, there is a um, chair testing machine that simulates people sitting up and down all the time. And we had things like that for mattresses as well. So yeah, so when I watched the uh, talk again um, and you show the image of the machine that you use for the um, mattress testing, um, I, I was very much reminded of the IKEA chair testing. It's a, it's a fascinating uh, uh, image to look at. Yeah, and it's, it was a very interesting uh, job, but um, those were three-month projects and that's not something that I would want to do for a longer time. So I had to go. <laughs> do the products change often? Um, yes, I did. Um, we had um, mattresses from different countries, which was uh, very interesting because your your average mattress from from the UK is a lot different from the average mattress uh, from Germany, uh, which is again a lot different than the average uh, mattress from China, um, just because of um, people being taller, people being more heavy, um, higher humidity, and things like that. And different cultural backgrounds prefer different kind of mattresses. So. Um, we had a lot of different things here, but the tests themselves uh, were mostly the same. So it's um, you had one set of tests that was um, established and that you would do again and again. So yeah, at times it might get a little bit repetitive. That's true. That, that's interesting because one of the well, there was a couple of things that sort of jumped out for me when I was watching the talk, and one of them was you, you alluded to conflict that you had with the the manager you were there about how you tested because you were sort of talking about so your you felt it should be more user driven they felt it was it should be more sort of box checking structured did you ever manage to sort of get your approach accepted um or did you manage to reach a compromise with them well we tried both in different projects and um came to the conclusion that it didn't really matter a lot <laughs> <laughs> So all, all this checking and testing arguments that we have in it all is yeah, for nothing. It doesn't matter. No, no, <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> At least not in that context, because um, the the box checking was that sophisticated and was um, so based on user data, um, uh, it was actually very helpful at that moment. So um, 
So actually, it's not an either-or, but a situation where both is, has been taken into account. So um, the box checking is about boxes that are designed after users, after all. So um, that's, that's probably um, the idea behind that. I guess that's that's the thing that sometimes gets forgotten in that discussion is is that something that's been codified has potentially come from some source of truth yeah. that you're 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 maybe looking at. It's just this. I suppose it goes back to your um, sort of gate gateway or uh, gatekeeper um, analogy. Is just rather than an individual, it's the it's the thing that's been codified becomes the gatekeeper of the information rather than yourself. Exactly. You have to know why it's been codified and, and what the gate is all about. If you forget about those things, they um, become more of a harm than a good. But if you still know about those, um, let's use them as a tool. Why not? Yeah, so one last thing I wanted to ask you about is you mentioned the term customer's customer and um, how that's valuable to consider as a tester, but I didn't really understand what what, what that meant. Um, what, what do you mean by customer's customer? Well, in simple terms, it's a user. The customer, the one who wanted to testing to be done, is not necessarily the one who's using um, the product in the end. So that's um, really what is behind it, because um, I think we're in a rather paradox situation uh, where we sometimes have to disappoint our customers by finding flaws or whatsoever um, to really make them happy, because they're only happy if um, well, the product's getting better. And um, in order to get it better, you have to sometimes see uh, what's not doing as well as it could. So that is really what is behind that. So the customer's customer is, in that case, um, the user. I see. So, yeah, so it's kind of being an advocate for the user um, and focusing on their needs rather than the business that's engaging you in terms of testing the software. Absolutely. The business is paying you, but uh, in the end, um, the user is paying the customer. So that should be someone uh, to have in mind as well. Cool. Oh, I've learned something. So uh, this is all... This is all worthwhile. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, uh, cool. So uh, let's um, talk about your final song. Uh, that would be Killing of the Name by Rage Against the Machine, because it was back in my playing days. It was my warm-up song just to get um, pumped up before the game. And I, I really like it. And I even had the DJ play it uh, at my wedding. Forces are the same that bar crosses. Some of those that work forces are the same that bar crosses. Some of those that work forces are the same that bar crosses. Some of those that work forces draw the same that bar crosses. So that was Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine. So, Christian, thank you uh, for coming along um, to this podcast. Yeah, my pleasure to be here. So uh, all that's left is to uh, choose a book uh, to bring with you along with your music. Uh, so what would you? What would your book selection be? As everyone else, I'll take a pretty big one, I guess. <laughs> I was thinking about the anthology of English and American literature, but um, that one would be cheating, I guess. It's a little cheaty. Yeah, a little. Uh, so I settled for Herman Melville's uh, Moby Dick. 
um, because it's pretty big and I liked other books by Herman Melville. Oh, brilliant. Excellent. So, uh, yes, that's that's uh, going in with the the music um, onto the island. Uh, so, um, going forward, um, how can people get in touch with you? Twitter would be um, the easiest way. That would be chr underscore kram at Twitter. Um, I'm also passive on LinkedIn. Um, if you're German-speaking, I'm a little bit more active on Xing, um, so you can catch me there. Or if you want um, to talk to me in person, um, I'm a co-organizer of a uh, open space on the QS Bar Camp, um, which is taking place on September 6th and 7th um, in Hamburg. And you can catch me a week later um, on the other side of Germany, Munich, at uh, Testbest Germany. Brilliant. Well, um, I might see you at uh, Testbest Germany myself, um, but if not, I hope you have a good time. Um, so there's all that's left for me to say is um, thank you, Christian, for coming on. Thank you. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Tester Island, and hopefully we'll uh, be back next month uh, with another guest. So um, until then, it's bye-bye from me, and it's bye-bye from Christian. Bye. Tester's Island Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing, written and produced by Mark Winteringham created by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island. So that was uh, Killing in the Name. Is it Killing in the Name or Killing in the Name of? I think it's Killing in the Oh, it's just Killing in the Name. I've, I've always known it as killing in the name of. Yeah, so have I, until I was corrected by a dear friend of mine and couldn't believe it and looked it up on Wikipedia, and it's true. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs>